Hey everyone, welcome to Trends and Tings, where we bring you real chats on what's buzzing on this week's show. Is the government doing enough to end gender-based violence? Well, we're going to be chatting through the recent respect at work laws that were and weren't passed, and just how prominent voices like, you know, Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins think more could have been done to protect women. And also, you know all that checking in you've been doing over the last few months? Well, turns out that police nationwide have been accessing some of that data and trying to figure out how they can use it to solve crimes and use it for all different types of means. So, I'm gonna be chatting about the ethics of that, you know, using check-in data for anything else other than COVID-related concerns and what the future holds. As always, a very big welcome to the show to you. My name is Gordon. Joined by Scotty, as always, welcome, mate. Ep one of our new condensed format and two episodes a week, which is exciting. So, I guess to listeners, if you are view, uh, listen, tuning in on a, on this uh, Tuesday morning, you might see a little shorter episode time. Don't don't fret; it's not mm-hmm. a it's not a we haven't messed up. Nothing's gone wrong. Uh, you know, we are aiming for a little bit of a, how would we call it? Bite? I don't want to say bite size. I think like everything everyone uses bite size, Scotty. They use uh, it in the wrong way. Moment. It's. Yeah. Um, you know, snackable content. Snackable content. Is that still that <laughs> oh, thing? Oh, God, cringe. Um, look, obviously, I think, what, 12 weeks in lockdown has given us time to really look at these episodes like, how can we do better? Mm. You know, like, how can we give the people what they want? They want the good stuff. They want the juicy stuff on the mm. Tuesday. Let's cut out the fluff and let's just give it to them. And that's what Guess they're getting in. today. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we're very excited. And of course, Thursday, you'll, you'll be hearing our very first What We're Vibing show. So if you do... You know, like our mm. entertainment suggestions or, or anything like that, our, our music choices, Thursday is going to be a spot now for all of that. And we're going to delve into it a bit more uh, as well, Scotty. So, you know, Donda and Kanye versus Drake yes. uh, and the Certified Loverboy album, dig into that a bit and a few other little topics. So stay tuned for that. But the point of this, Scotty, is for us to just get right into it. But before we do, for mm-hmm. anyone who is listening, and a big thank you, I should say, to anyone who follow us uh, follows us on Instagram, at Trends and Things, if you don't. Would love it if you can join us there. We have been putting a lot of polls and a lot of quizzes and a lot of, you know, different things to get feedback from you guys on the podcast, on topics that we do, uh, you know, on different topics that you want to see we covered and also just sending us your thoughts on questions that have come up post the show as well. So thanks thanks to everyone who has been getting involved. It's been great to see, uh, you know, people voting and showing what their opinions are as well because we want to do, Scotty, I think more of that, right, and get of everyone course. more involved uh, because you guys do make the show, really. If it's Without you, we're just two bumbling clowns, which, Talking I mean, it, it's other. probably still true. <laughs> it, there's a chance it's still true. So, you know, a big thank you to everyone who does follow us and you can follow us at Trends and Tings on Instagram or if you want to help support the show, patreon.com forward slash trends and tings. Chuck a fiver in if you're keen to help support and help us get interesting guests. Scotty, we've had a few really good ones in the last few weeks. I think Maddie, of course, last week from a major city mm-hmm. hospital, showing light into, you know, how COVID wards are working, uh, you know, and a bunch of other guests that are also coming up in the future. So thank you for all your support is definitely worth saying. Yeah, look, there's a lot of goodies for people to expect over the next coming weeks, but also some goodies on this episode, Gord. Mm. So I think it's um, time for us to jump in. Absolutely. And uh, I want to kick off the first topic by asking you to remember back in mm. March, which feels like oh, feels a lifetime like, ago. Oh, yeah, truly. You may remember we had the March for Justice rallies across the country over the lack of response to the alleged rape of Brittany Higgins, plus the historical rape allegations towards the then Attorney General Christian Porter. Mm, Does that yes. you know ring a bell? Oh man, it's hard to to not ring any bells. I mean, I I feel like it was very, I guess I guess saying memorable is maybe the the wrong word to say, but it definitely yes. 
um, it's hard to forget, I guess, that whole incident. And, you know, obviously it's in a way, I guess it's the good thing perhaps is, you know, some of the conversations that have come up post that, mm-hmm. you know, event. Well, that's exactly right. The, there's a very focused and, you know, pertinent movement to have at the time. And from there, there's a few demands, but the two main demands I want to touch on from these rallies were a, a like a full investigation to both cases that sparked um, the March for Justice rallies, mm. as well as the federal government to implement 55 recommendations from the Respect at Work report, which stemmed from this national inquiry into sexual assaults uh, in Australian workplaces back in mm. 2020. Back in March, we've seen these rallies happen. So we're now into September, and only last week we saw a bit of, I guess, inaction, you can say, from the government on both fronts. Mm. So first up, I want to touch on the PM's department who have suspended its inquiry into whether the staffers knew about Higgins' uh, allegations until the Mm. criminal trial ends. They kind of claim that it's to avoid tampering over the criminal case. I personally think it's a bit wild (laughs) that, you know, Brittany came public with this story back in February and in September was still not getting any closer to resolution. Mm. And look, we we might touch on that a little bit later. The real thing I really want to touch on on this episode is the government's recent Respect at Work bill that just passed. And basically, it's just a series of anti-discrimination laws to address gender violence in the workplace. Mm. But the thing is, this bill is influenced by the Respect at Work report, which I mentioned a second ago, that details Mm. 55 recommendations. 55 recommendations, a bit of a beast. Gords, I just want to throw Mm. it out to you. You think, all right, they've got 55 to play with. How many do you think made it through in these laws? Just just spit out a number. Uh, look, I'd be look, I'd be lying if I haven't seen a little bit of cr- come across. I don't know the oh, exact yeah. number. I don't know the exact number, but um, fifty five. Did you say in total? Mm-hmm. I know it was. I know it was under like 15, 10, 15, So I'm gonna go with like I'm gonna say six, seven, seven Mate. were passed. Is it? Is it? Am you're, I in you're, the ballpark? You're cl- yeah, I think. You must have seen the rounds because six is that magic number that passed, which is um, obviously raising a lot of heads because back in April, Scott Morrison said that his government will adopt all recommendations, yet unfortunately only six of the yeah, 55 made it through. Tragic, tragic to say the least. But look, so to give you a bit of a heads up about the recommendations, mm. a lot of them ask for some massive changes, right? So we're looking at changes in legislation, establishing national reporting bodies, giving new powers to government bodies and like fundamental changes to education. Mm. And sure, look, huge shift, but this report, this Respect at Work report has existed since March of 2020. So I kind of want to put it to you, Gord. Do you think despite a whole year and I don't know, maybe the excuse of COVID, could the mm. government have done more here than just pass six recommendations? Oh yeah, look, there's no doubt that they should and could in mm. this case. I think... Uh, I, I tried to do some research into, I guess I wanted to just find out a bit more about what they, and maybe you can tell me more on this yeah, um, around the the six that they did pass because I, I was, I was trying to, yeah, I guess trying to figure out exactly what was announced and what wasn't and just try to get my head around why it is so low because like we saw today as well, uh, or in the last uh, day or two, um, you know, ScoMo's always doing his best job at, at PRing, his way oh, through a lot of, of this stuff. And, you know, somehow he, of course, appointed himself to do the to do a keynote at the Women's Safety Summit, which was online this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to avoid being triggered, I'd recommend not going to Twitter and looking at some of the 
the points of this conference or summit. Yeah, okay. Because a lot of the conversation was around you have to be, I mean, we know what, you can almost predict what ScoMo has said, you know, the mm-hmm. usual PR, you know, yeah, we have a problem with, with violence against women. No shit. What are you doing about it? That's a lot of the, it's very frustrating, you know, yeah. which is no surprise. But I also found out that um, you had to basically get invited to this summit uh is sort of quite of course i don't know if it was if prestigious is the word but like it's very much a in, invite only type of thing which that um, screams um inclusion right yeah Just, i mean <laughs> i don't know like i said i honestly haven't researched enough probably to figure out yeah. why that's the case maybe there is a good reason but uh, i did see a tweet from Brittany higgins herself and she said uh while i respect the prime minister's uh Ambitious spirit, in inverted commas, she says, for the National Women's Security Summit 2021, I just can't match this government's actions with platitudes and warm sentiments that they are all extending today. So obviously there was a mm-hmm. very much like a, we're on board, we're, we're trying, we're going to do stuff, it's all very warm and fuzzies and stuff, but Brittany's not necessarily buying it heaps. Second part was interesting and comes to my point around the invite. She says, on another note, I'd like to give a big thank you to the ACT government and the Victims of Crime Commission who kindly stepped in at the last minute to have me invited as a delegate to listen into today's event. Wow. So okay. last yeah. minute she's she's been brought to the to the table on this, which you would just assume she would be one of the first people you mm. would have on the bill. Uh, I don't think... Um, you know, and it probably says enough about Scott Morrison and the Liberals themselves, right? The fact that, uh, you know, number one, he's he's putting himself up to do the keynote. It's not like someone asked him to come and give it. It, rem- <laughs> mm. it screams of like when Tony Abbott was like the the oh, minister, minister for, for women's women. rights and, yeah. and minister for Indigenous affairs. Like, what? Come on, mate. <laughs> how, yeah. how does that get past anywhere? Yeah. Um, so look, yeah, the, the whole. That whole uh, conversation today around the um, around the summit has also added in, I think, some, uh, I guess, context and and conversation around that original respect uh, at work report. Yes, um, and made people sort of stand up and sort of think, is this is this all legit? Like your a lot of your conversation, even today at the summit, is we want to support women. We know we've got a problem here. It's just like it's a bit of tape recorder stuff, you know. Yeah, I feel like it missed the mark quite a bit. Just touching on some of the recommendations, because I, I caught a glimpse of Scott Morrison's open address and he talks about like an education piece, you know, if we need to learn to do better, like men need to learn to do yeah, better, yeah. be part of the solution, mm. all that kind of stuff. And I say all that kind of stuff because it seemed like a bit empty-handed when he said that. Like one of the recommendations of the Respect at Work report was to fund... Um, not only like workplace education programs. So in the workplace, mm. people can understand, you know, respect. Like I feel like it's they're really easy concepts, but for some reason, you know, we're 2021 and people aren't getting this. But also respect in, in schooling as well. So the report had a really strong lens on uh, education in like different facets, like, you know, primary up into workplace education. Okay, yeah, yeah. They really wanted to increase how they monitor the data so they can then build better policies and better legislation to support women, which was just dropped as a recommendation. Mm. I think the only like slight things that came through from this report in the legislation is a workplace can now fire someone on the basis of sexual harassment. So mm. you can be dismissed based on that. But it doesn't put any onus on the workplace or the employer, sorry, to make a safe environment for their employees. That was another recommendation. Mm. So it's just, I think um, I can understand, say, Brittany Higgins' frustration when you've got a report. This report was made from a 
um, a national inquiry that went for 18 months. So started back in 2018. Mm. Come to 2020, you've got a report full of 55 recommendations on how to help women. And then your next thought is like, actually, what I'm going to do is <laughs> I'm going to start a summit to continue the conversation. I just feel like, um, I don't know, Gold's, Like I feel like every time I've gone to a summit, you it's all glowing with like positivity and you're like, mm. let's pat ourselves on the back. But it feels like there hasn't been a lot of actual action that comes out from that. I think maybe oh, that's yeah. what we're seeing with the summit. Um, did you catch anything else on Twitter that kind of raised your, um, that, come, that kind of came to your attention? Uh, look, I, there was a bunch of stuff, but I, I would agree. Nothing that was super, um, obviously a lot of people frustrated, which I think everyone in there is with, well within their rights to be frustrated with this. So mm-hmm. um, I guess I tried to, I got a lot of sentiment as I was sort of following through and obviously picked up a few clips and screenshots of ScoMo doing his little uh, his little speech or, or keynote. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't really want to immerse myself too deep because I was just finding myself getting frustrated right the, like the fact when i found out that it was him scomo himself that put himself up for the keynote i was just like borderline flipping the table area yeah. i was just like i gotta step away from this because i'm just i'm not this is not making you're not resulting in anything positive for me <laughs> you know in that moment i was just like nah I it's can't just do it. um it's just so odd because we have an actual minister for women um I can't recall. I think her name's Maurice Payne. And mm. I actually think she's doing like the closing keynote on the second day of it. Oh, okay, But it, seem, right. it would seem like even more fitting to have her as the Minister for Women they just open up uh, the summit. I just, mm. I don't know about the, maybe the optics. Do you know if the summit was like, because honestly, I, I would be lying mm-hmm. if I said that I knew heaps about it. But is this a summit sort of, yeah, is it a, is it a, a government run thing? Do you know much about the, the ins and so, outs of it? Yeah, so my understanding is this is the first year we're having this summit, and it actually a lot of it ties in from what happened to Brittany, uh, Brittany Higgins. Mm. Um, so that's why I think maybe it was a tactical move not to have her invited because she's like the catalyst <laughs> for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, first year that we're having it, most of it was to actually uh, run through the Respect at Work uh, national plan the government's doing. So mm. it's really just a government vehicle. Um, and then some of it, just from looking at the program, does seem to touch on different areas where we can improve women's safety. But um, yeah, it just seems really government driven and not a lot of room for dialogue. Um, mm. And I think the the other thing I just wanted to touch on is because we've spoken about Brittany Higgins, but the other really prominent voice in this conversation has been Grace Tame, mm. uh, who we remember won Australian of the Year as an advocate for survivors of sexual assault. And the reason why I found her really interesting as well, because in a recent interview at the Sydney Morning Herald, she's actually been calling out the government for how they constantly cut uh, funding to improve, say, um, uh, women's, so not women's education, but how we address gendered violence. So mm. this one stat she pulled out, which I found really interesting, was uh, at the start of the year, the, the government said they'll fund $2.8 million to consent education. Uh-huh. And then mysteriously, this, yeah. a few uh, months later, they slashed it to 1.36 million. Whoa. And I think having something like that where, and this is why that kind of worries me about the summit where in the front on the surface, we see all this action. We saw all this kind of grandeur that will do something. And then once it kind of comes out of the media cycle, we might just see this watered mm. down and actually nothing's actually going to be achieved. Mm. It reminds me a lot of uh, Shark Tank, oddly enough. Like when you would all watch... Right. 
a lot of those shows or, you know, in the moment you're watching like a reality TV show and they're like, yeah, we love this idea. Uh, we'd love to put some money behind it, etc." And then they go offline and it's a lot of those deals, like the high majority of those deals don't actually go through because as you can imagine, there's lots of paperwork, there's lots of equity, there's lots of money exchanging hands and it's a reality TV show at the end of the day. So it's all for the, you know, the PR and the glamour and the the ratings and stuff like that. So I look at this and I'm shocked by that, like over or close to Touchwood, nearly 50% of that fee, you know, 1.36 million from 2.8 million just slashed out of nowhere. So you're talking about 50% off that amount. And honestly, if you didn't tell me right now, I probably wouldn't have known in the next couple of months. I would have gone, oh, okay, I could guess I didn't know that. Um, But so that's, that's definitely shocking and definitely, I guess, sad to hear. And I guess I wonder how much that actually happens in general with in investments or yeah, a lot of these sort of government funding projects we have spoken about and, and heard about things like arts, cutting uh, funds to the arts and stuff like that. That's been a bit more publicized, but this one is interesting. And, and I guess what, yeah, I don't think hundred percent right. Very worrying that they're just sort of, you know, picking and choosing where, you know, they obviously allocate their funds, but they're not announcing it or the media haven't got uh, enough info or certainly not enough there hasn't been enough media around something like that, which is obviously quite a big deal in a, in a year or two when you've got, you know, the Christian Porter, Sagas of the World, Grace Tame, Brittany Higgins. And yeah, I think going back to one of your earlier points is, you know, w- what is the next step here? Because I think, you know, I look at the government and I, I'm honestly, it, it's almost like they don't give a fuck, to be honest. There's, there's this element of just like, yeah, cool. We'll, we'll make sure our PR game is fucking on point. But and if we do that, we'll we'll convince people. They'll buy into the spin, like you said. But behind it, it's just rice paper, you know, over the cracks, and there's not really substance behind what they're actually saying. And I, I sort of my my head goes, okay, well, if the government are sort of just taking the piss, like please vote them out in the next election. If that would be the next best thing. But also, uh, what what is the next thing? Like, what, what is the next step to deal with what is a very serious problem, right? Because even the government can do whatever they want, Scotty. But at the end of the day, people need to take responsibility for actions. And yeah, there needs to be consent training. And, you know, I guess, I don't know, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on this from the workplaces you've been in. But over my career, having been into it in a few and even just talking to mates who have been in different workplaces themselves, there's, you know, obviously it's still an issue with this in terms of uh, females, women predominantly not feeling safe or being harassed. Like even you saying that one of these laws that of the, fucking two that have been passed is people can get fired for sexual harassment. I would just assume that was a law already. <laughs> like I just assume that was a thing. Is that not a thing already? Like no, if that's, probably, if that's one of the six, what, what hope do we have? You know? So I do start to think what are the next steps? Because I still, even people who have good will at heart mm-hmm. are still, it's the whole intent versus impact thing. Like intentions deep down is probably good, but a lot of the, you know, day-to-day stuff which it's almost like casual racism a bit people joke about it we take the piss but Mm. some people there's like this deep underlay of like okay there's some fucked up things you're saying or you're doing yeah you know have you found the same instances with workplaces and because obviously this is about a a report for work right yeah exactly um look i can't say that at any workplace i've been a part of i've had any formal training for like uh you know respectful 
practices at work. I've done, you know, the OHS or WHS now. I've done those like workplace compliance sort of trainings. And it's actually one of the interesting things because the Respect at Work report says we should integrate some of this training into what we do with the WHS. So it's just mm. common standard. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I can't recall. My partner in her workplace actually went through a really cool LGBT uh, awareness training program. But that was like they nominated to do that program. Nothing mm. mandated them to do it. Um, so it kind of feels like it's the initiative of a workplace to do this, which I think leaves a lot of holes in the system for some people receiving training that does help them and other people being left behind. Um, the only thing I've been thinking about that can be really helpful is just like following the voices who like won't let this issue die. So we've also mentioned Grace mm. Tame and Brittany Higgins. I do want to give a shout out to Janine Hendry. She helped organize the March for Justice rallies. Mm. Um, has been a really vocal advocate for this as well. And then this publication, which um, I did for a bit of my research on and the leader to this topic called Women's Agenda, whose um, the coverage has been really clear cut and thought provoking. And I think uh, they're not going to let this issue die. So I'd really give a shout out to them and give them a follow. Awesome. Yeah, I think there's there's lots of good organizations and people like you just mentioned out there talking about this, which I think is great. And we should call out like we're doing right now, the fact that the government and a lot of men don't give a shit clearly about some of these these rules and these laws. And obviously some women as well. I, saw, I mean, it's no shock, but Pauline Hansen come out and say, these new laws are going to, you know, prevent men from living properly. Mm. Along the, you know, those this standard narrative. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I just feel like it's very, we've got to call out the the frustration that the government is doing and remember it when it comes to election time. But also, yeah, I totally agree. Take on those important voices on on topics like this because it's clearly important and you know they're the ones who i think will have some lasting change in the long run scotty checking in the concept of it it's become a permanent part of all our lives we you know here in new south wales we've got the service new south wales app uh, I feel like there's, and they obviously don't even feel there is an app of equivalence in each state. Yes, uh, everyone's using something, and around the world, QR codes have never been, never been more uh, Bring it back. back in. You know, they've had a resurgence, <laughs> as we know. So, before we get stuck into, I guess, this topic around sort of what some police and government organizations have been using the data mm-hmm. for from those apps, I wanted to get your opinions on the idea of checking in using QR codes, because it's obviously, yeah, as I mentioned, become a key part of life and a key part for also resuming what normal life might look like in the future, because we need to have that, I guess, active payroll in a way of where you've been and and what you're doing and where you're spending your money. So what's your, what's been your initial thoughts and and opinions, not even initial, because it's, it's been here for, for what, two years. So what are your overall thoughts perhaps on it? And what do you like? What do you dislike? Well, I guess like initially, I just wasn't a big fan because it felt like an extra step you had to do Mm. when you go into a venue and that initial takeout wasn't particularly great. So then you always have to like second guess this place doesn't have a QR reader. Do I still go in and do my shopping? Do I just bail? Mm. It's uh, luckily become commonplace. So I'm not too worried about it anymore, which is great. Um the thing I just found annoying about the apps was it just it didn't feel smart. Like it didn't mm. if you signed into a new place, it didn't sign you out of the other players. You had to manually go in and do those things. It just 
felt like it took two years to actually get it as a functional app as opposed to like day one but it's habit now i'm used to it mm. let's uh let's just live with it yeah absolutely and look the, like i said the reason that i wanted to i guess ask you a bit about this is because as you can imagine a lot of data from these apps is being stored uh and on all different types of servers in different parts of the country and, and overseas as well, I think potentially, but mainly mm-hmm. in Australia. And ultimately, my question that I wanted to talk about uh, and the topic is who should have access to that data? Because Scotty, you know, if I was to look at your New South Wales service, New South Wales apps today, I could see obviously what venues you've been in or, you know, where you've been specifically around your area uh, and stuff like that. So this, this story's popped up uh, as per the age uh, overnight, and it's basically talking about how, you know, police and other organizations, government orgs, et cetera, uh, have been banned from accessing any information from QR code check-in apps and stuff like that. Uh, and as you right. can imagine, up until now, you probably just think off the top of your head that contact traces, people using uh, COVID-related or who are managing COVID-related things have access to that data, and that's pretty much where you draw the line. The instance in this particular case uh, is that some police squads have been found to either have accessed or tried to access data from the relevant check-in apps nationwide. So think uh, law enforcement agencies who have sought to use that contact tracing data on finding out things to do with crimes or you know, particular law-breaking instances that have popped up on their radar. And in total, there's been about six occasions, uh, you know, solved to, you know, match to sort of some unrelated crime. So they're not necessarily COVID-related crimes. They're just crimes in general that have happened. So they've used that as a support mechanism. Uh, And look, there's growing calls, you know, people, backbench MPs, civil groups, they want to phase this out, you know. They want to get to a point where post the you know real bad part of COVID, which we might be approaching now at the end of the year, sort of learning to live with it, they want to phase out the use of the check-in app, right? They want to get rid of it. They want to sort of say, okay, cool, the, the crux of the pandemic is over. We don't mm-hmm. need it as much. So let's phase out the use of it over time when people are vaccinated. Probably not anytime soon, but maybe in the coming years, let's say. So Scotty, before we go into the meat of the convo, I guess I wanted to get your opinion on this. Is it fair game, do you think, for police or for governments or for private companies or anyone who's not dealing with COVID related breaches or cases to have access to this type of data moving forward. Do you think it's right? Do you think it's fair or do you think it's not? Yeah. Look, I think ultimately it's, it's not fair game for them to use our data unless it's like really critical for them to use it to say solve a case. Like I don't know the examples for why the police would say, uh, we need to use your COVID tracking app data. Uh, I'm sure there were different examples. I'd say like most times, like sure, can you still solve the case without this data? If not, and it's really imperative to getting that data to then solve a case, like, you know, a murder or mm. theft or something like that, probably that's fine. But I just don't like the idea of like a free reign. I'm just going to dip in and see uh, where you went. It just reminds me of that the story covered a while back where, there was that police officer who matched with someone on Tinder mm. and then went into their yep. police records to find out domestic violence history and that kind of stuff. I feel like it's that territory. And oh, I yeah. just, you know, the worst picture I have is just some uh, some cop at his desk, just a cruisy Thursday afternoon, just going through checking in people's history. So like mm. that, uh, if there's some like checks and balances in place, sure, go for it, solve crime. You do you, bro. Um <laughs> If it's just to kill time, I'm like, 
I'd rather have that faith that they wouldn't, you know, damage my um, my data. Yeah, and look, I wanted to give some context because there have been a few instances, like I mentioned. So, for example, the Queensland Police gained access to Check in Queensland, which is the mm-hmm. app in, uh, you know, over in that state, uh, in June for a search uh, or through a search warrant after the theft of a police issued firearm, which actually led to a police officer being stood down. So I guess you could say there were some repercussions on the basis of accessing that data. Uh, Western Australian police have used it twice uh, without a warrant, which led to the state actually banning police from accessing the data, so they can't use it anymore. Uh, so that's a little bit that's a little bit sneaky. Um, mm-hmm. Victoria police have tried but uh, have been rebuffed on at least three t- three occasions. So they're trying as well. And then in New South Wales, South Australia, and Northern Territory, they've just been ruled out from using the check-in app data at all. So they can't even ask uh, to yeah, use fair. it. So there are instances in other. It's very state by state, as we found out with a lot of the COVID management. States make their own rules and they roll with it. And it's very much the case here. So. You know, you, you sort of touched on it a little bit there, I guess, around that sort of Pandora's box point of <laughs> do you allow cops to use it for, yeah, really serious crimes? Like, for example, that police officer, uh, you know, being stood down or for carrying a, a fire, a police-related firearm, mm-hmm. uh, you could argue that's a pretty serious crime. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, maybe that's fair game to use it. Uh, but I guess my thinking on it is, I guess, should people sort of be okay with their police using their data if they have nothing to hide or is this sort of you know the just the pure fundamentals of breaching privacy do you think because you know in the same sense we know about over the years that police government organizations stuff like that they don't have the best track record with this type of thing there's reasons mm-hmm. i guess for me personally the more i think about it and I've tried to take the devil's advocate approach where I've gone, okay, is is, it, is there any reason to let them access yeah. the data? Because as you can see, some states, they're also not sure, right? Some are, some are allowed to, some are allowed to ask for a warrant, some just aren't allowed to at all. And there's not a great, it's potentially a slippery slope that opens up. But what do you think? Do you think it is a breach of privacy or do you think, yeah, like you said, is is there enough reasons to allow a certain type of crime to be, you know, to use check-in data? I think people are afraid it's a breach of privacy because there's not probably a great deal of trust in in the police system, especially now during COVID. You know, here in New South Wales, um, police have greater powers to, you know, fine people up to, what, Mm. $5,000. You know, you can be convicted. It's just, I think it's, I think it's this weird blend of power and and trust in, in the police system. And it's probably just... It's not kind of, it's not there at the moment. It's just too much power and not enough mm. trust. Oh, yeah. Um I was following up on a story we touched on a while back about the YouTuber Friendly Geordies, and he's currently got a case with um, oh, yeah, of course. Yep. Deputy Premier John Barlaro. What we covered back then was the fixated uh, persons unit arrested one of his producers, um, and then he had to go to jail and Throughout the court, uh, the case hearing, sorry, we found out that proper process actually wasn't followed when mm. we uh, when they arrested the uh, the producer, sorry, and it was just really telling of the police system because the the police officer or like the the managing person that they were questioning basically said, even though proper procedure wasn't followed, you know they probably wouldn't go into that 
uh, conclusion anyway, so their actions were sort of justified. Like mm. they would have arrested him anyway, so it's not an issue that he so that they didn't a follow anyway. Like they were yeah, going to do exactly. it, but this is a shortcut to do something we would have done anyway, type of thing. Of course, yeah. So I think it's you know when we hear statements like that, when we just feel like we have a very overstretching police presence. I, I think people are not normally fine with the idea of uh, we're going to use your data to solve crime because we want to do good in the world. Like, you know, we want to protect citizens. Mm. But then it kind, of, it kind of becomes quite muddled when you're thrown in with, oh, but there are some dodgy police that we can't trust them with our data. So how do we know if it's a good cop looking at my data or a bad cop? I'm just going to be blanket um, against this because I don't have trust in the system. So I think yeah. I think to fix it would just be like, have better police officers Wait, or and better that's police system. million dollar question right like, yeah like how do yeah. you get that how is that even is that even possible like it, yeah. it, all, it it sort of almost brings up this sort of final point around compliance like if you start to introduce info like access like this for police mm-hmm. you're just naturally gonna even the scent of it right like this article came out on the age and i was reading it going okay if this catches on people just will stop giving a shit they just won't they just won't check in or they'll fake mm. do it like they'll say they have but they haven't because you know people are cautious about how naturally how you know people use their data how it's uh uh used for different things around the world whether it's private companies government police they just don't want their data out there right so i guess that's the big thing that i also consider is that we need people checking in right now we need that to happen to get out of covid so you start getting little stories like this that come out and you know, we've spoken in the past, yes, the, the friendly Geordies thing, but also ASIO laws with Peter Dutton and mm. stuff. They're all intrinsically connected in some way, right? In that sense that government officials, especially like politicians and also, uh, you know, police, to a combination of people that just are really low on trust when it comes to society. Like if anything, politicians have less trust, right, than police. Of so course, yeah. a lot of the time politicians are the ones making the decisions on whether apps get access you know cops get access to data and stuff like that so we've got these people that we don't really trust you know making decisions on quite important you know sets of information so (laughs) i think it's really not at a knife edge i think it's just do the smart thing here and i think it'll be interesting to see post covid scotty if we eventually phase it out i'm really intrigued by that to see if that happens and i mean maybe in terms of wrapping up i'm keen to get your opinion on that because as I mentioned earlier, um, there's some calls to, to phase it out once we don't need it. And mm. in New Zealand, I think it was, there's been, they were also under some pressure there because there's some murmurs about, you know, private companies obviously getting access to data. We saw the whole uh, Facebook, what was that company? I, I'm forgetting it for the life of me. That, they oh, had Cambridge that da- Analytica? That's it, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, they course. had the whole scandal with, with data being accessed there and that was a whole fiasco. So you can only imagine with the amount of data that's on these check-in apps, like literally everyone is using them at the moment mm-hmm. across countries in Australia. So do you think maybe just in closing that we should phase these apps out over time? Or do you think, you know, there's all this data in one place, it's, it could be used for some good or, you know, maybe companies could access it in, in positive ways. Or do you think, yeah, we should eventually, you know, drip, drip feed it out of society? Yeah, look, I think let's let's bin the app. Like, I could only imagine by the time we have the the vaccine passport or immunization records in conjunction with people giving a negative test for COVID, then there's no other real reason to really have these tracking apps because either you've entered the premise of a venue 
because you're fully vaccinated or you've given a negative test of COVID or you can't enter at all because the vaccine passport says you can't come in. So I'd I'd like to think at least in the next year or so, it just gets wiped out. But that's just my personal, you know, personal hopeful feeling. Yeah, it was like when, you remember when they first introduced the COVID, I think it's called the COVID Safe app, right? The biggest failure of of an app ever released. Um, And I was talking to a mate about it then. I think we did an episode or two about that as well. Um, And we were talking about it, sort of thinking about, again, what's the privacy concerns on it? And this mate that I was talking to about it sort of expressed that these these exact conversations we were having sort of saying, mm-hmm. I'm worried not so much about the the app providing us with a tool to stay cautious of people who have COVID right now. That's fine. It's more the people who are using it. There's a, there's a real history with especially government officials not ever relinquishing that power that yeah. they now have, right? So they've got all this data now for the first time ever, there's this ability to track people pretty much wherever they go. As we've seen with some of these instances with cops, they've used it to track people down. So you can tell that it's powerful, right? You can only imagine if they were using that data on a day-to-day basis, maybe how much more crime that would potentially stop. But mm. it's, a, it's a pure fundamental breach on just basic privacy for your citizens, right? So I guess there's that um, big concern about just what the future looks like. I, I agree with you. I think... Hopefully, it's something that'll get phased out over over time. But it will be really interesting once we get to that 80, 90 percent. You know, we we're on the back end of of the pandemic, and you know things are in place to ha- to manage it. If we see, you know, them relinquish what is a pretty strong, it's a pretty strong power they've got right now. Look, uh, we can only be hopeful that we don't need to give the government more data than we currently do. <laughs> so, uh, fingers crossed, they just yeah phase it out. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting one over the coming months. But Scotty, I think that'll just about do us for episode one of our new format. Hope you enjoyed it. If you're listening at home or wherever you are around Australia, uh, we definitely, you know, think it's a a, a nice change to mm-hmm. celebrate the last couple of years. Scotty, nearly been nearly been two years now coming up in November. <laughs> so crazy times. But we hope you enjoyed. Of course, Thursday. Stay tuned. We'll have our what we're vibing episode with a bit of a chat about what entertainment, music, songs, film we're into at the moment, including a bit of a chat around Donda versus CLB. It's going to be a fun one. So stick around till then. But thank you for joining us on this week's show, and we'll catch you then. See you, everyone.